Maribel, she's like, are you going live? She texts me, yeah, we're going live. Guys, I want to ask you before we start, if, if, if you could silence your phones, we've been having a lot of interruptions lately um, with phones, please, if you could put them on silent. Um, if you're waiting for a phone call, that's, you know, that's fine, but we need to respect not only the house of God, but the word of God. And too many phones been going off lately, so please, if you can please put it on vibrator or something. Um, this, these past two weeks, oh, by the way, before we start, guys, come on, look around. Look around. Um, last, last week, last week, we, we, we spent quite a bit of time on Sunday here, um, putting things up and fighting this wall back here. Um, <laughs> fighting the wall. <laughs> Fighting the wall. Fighting we actually wall got into a fist the, fight with within it. Within the wall. <laughs> um, huh? The walls of Jericho. But we don't want those to come down yet. That was good. Um, so, yeah, so we, you know, we, we've been wanting to kind of revamp the house of God for a while. And um, just unfortunately, the finances weren't there yet. But God has been very good, very faithful. And um, Amen. he's blessed the house amen bless the house amen. in ways that i mean we we could have never thought and so we're very grateful and um you guys know that it, pretty much everything that comes into this house stays within this house and this ministry um we try to take not just what's in here but what's in here out there amen um you know through our services through through our live tour portions through everything that we can wherever we go you know i know not only ourselves but i you know i always get texts and and phone calls all the time. You know, hey, Pastor, I invited this person to church and I invited this person to church. And that's a great thing to see because it tells me that you guys believe in the vision that God has placed in this house. Amen. Right? And so that is the type of attitude that we need to have wherever we go. It's not just about gathering here, but about going out there because it's not... The ones in here are saved, but the ones out there are lost. And the Bible says that Yeshua came for those that were lost. And so it's our job, not just my job as a pastor, but all our jobs, that whenever we step out those doors to, to preach the good news, to tell people about the truth of the gospel, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, or wherever we may go, we need to tell people of the truth of the gospel. It is our duty, and God, we're going to see how God uses men and women to transmit that truth and to you do things that, not that he needs us, but he gives us the opportunity to do those things, right? And so it is a privilege that if God has given us the opportunity to do these things, that we don't take them for granted or we don't take them lightly and do them. Because I, I don't know about you, but I love when God places something in my hand and I know that he tells me, okay, now do something with it. Because I know that his eyes are fixed on me. That he's called me to do something. And I want you to know this morning that each one of you has a calling. Each one of you has a purpose in the kingdom of God. We're all pieces to this master grand puzzle. And all of us fit in a way that other people cannot fit. I cannot fit in the way that Mabel fits. And I cannot fit in the way that Marco fits. 
We all serve a purpose in the kingdom of God. We all come under one accord on Saturday mornings and in the same spirit, but we're all different in many ways. And God uses us in those ways. And if you don't know what your purpose and calling is, well, guess what? It's never too late to ask God for it. Ask God to reveal that to you. Because as we're going to learn today in Exodus 3, we're going to see how Moses comes to the reality of who God was, is, and is to come. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So, without further ado, turn your Bibles to Exodus 3. I'm excited for this word. Excuse me, because I'm fighting this this sniffles that doesn't let go of me, but in the name of Yeshua, today's I say it, I'm, I'm tired of it. And so is my wife, because she has to take care of me. Now, before we go into Exodus 3, I want to point something out this morning to you guys, because this is a conversation that my wife had, her and I had about, I want to say about two, three weeks ago, and I thought it was something very powerful. Because we need to understand that there is a fine line between going over too much or staying behind too much. Okay? There's a very fine line. And in this church, even though we've gone back to the beginning and have really digged deep into the Word and tried to grab as many treasures as we can from the Word, three things that we teach in this church. Number one, That is theology. We teach as much truth and as much word as possible. Number two, we teach on who Yeshua is. And number three, we teach on life application. The reason why I didn't put Yeshua first is because he is what holds theology and life application together. It is not just about theology if you don't know how to apply it. It is not about just having life application without having the proper foundation. And in between is Yeshua holding both things together, putting them together as one stick, as we learned in the book of Ezekiel, for you and I to apply it on a daily basis. So I don't want you to miss that that just because we've gone back to the beginning means that whatever we're learning, it's not being able to be applied to our daily lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, that is the reason we went back to the beginning, to teach the truth, but understanding now to see it from a different perspective so you're able to apply what is taught since the beginning of time. Because nothing's changed. It's been there all along. We might have not seen it for a while, but it's been there all along. The Bible didn't change just because we went back to the beginning. The Bible's been written for thousands and thousands of years. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to recap a little bit on the last two chapters because the last two chapters have been powerful. If you guys thought Genesis was powerful, Exodus is mind-blowing. And today you're going to see things that, honestly, as I was sitting down to study, it just left me in awe. Like, I was just dozing off out of awe of how amazing God is. When he just reveals things, he just leaves you speechless. 
I guess you can say. Amen. But the last two weeks, we've seen that the focus really has been on Moses and how Moses came about and how he was rescued from the river and how he was taken to the palace. And, and then now we saw on the last chapter how he went from the palace and he was pretty much kicked out because of what he did, not because of what God told him to do. I don't want you to miss that. God never told him to murder that Egyptian. He took it upon himself to murder the Egyptian because of what was going on. And a lot of us take matters into our own hands to do things that God has not told us to do. It's like we dig our own holes. Right? And we find ourselves waist high on those holes at times. Because we think that we can do it on our own strength and we just keep digging and digging and digging before you know it, you're like waist high on dirt. So I want you to understand that Moses took his own initiative to do all these things. God never told him to do none of that. As a matter of fact, God never told him to go to Midian. He just took it upon himself to flee. But in Exodus 3, we're going to see how those things change. And now the focus again goes from Moses to God. Not just to God, but in this chapter, it is the longest dialogue between man and God himself. And it is God. This is what you need to understand that God is always watching. God is always concerned. God cares. God is not a distant God. He's right here next to you. It is God who initiates the conversation. It's not Moses. It is God who initiates the conversation, the dialogue. Because just like the beginning, when he came looking for Adam, for the sin that they were involved, now he comes looking for Moses for the sin he had committed. And he's concerned because he doesn't want to leave him that way. He's concerned about you because he doesn't want to leave you that way. You may have done something wrong or you may be under some sort of addiction, but God does not want to leave you that way. He's concerned about every single person in this place, even about those out there that are lost. Now we're going to break Exodus 3, which I have subtitled it deliverance and redemption we're going to see both of those things in chapter three we're going to break this chapter in three ways number one if you're taking notes god's call to moses we're going to see god give moses a calling we're going to see him directing him to do something number one i mean number two god's commission to moses what he sends them to do after he calls them. And number three, God's revelation of himself to Moses. Because we're going to see in Exodus 3, it almost seemed like a, as if Moses had forgotten of who God was because of the time that he has spent in Egypt. Not realizing that he was never an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. 
But see, these are the things that happen when you spend too much time in places that you don't belong. Come on, somebody. You tend to forget who God is in your life because you become comfortable in the place that you're in that you don't belong. So be very careful. <clears throat> be very careful when you dwell in places you don't belong. Because not only do you get comfortable, but you tend to pick up things and customs yep. from that place. That's right. And we're going to see what Moses picked up. We're going to see the mentality of Moses because of all the time that he spent in Egypt. Amen? Let's go to the Word of God. Exodus 3, verse 1. We'll put it up here in Spanish. <clears throat> Don't need it. And it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. I want to stop there for a second because there's something very interesting here right off the bat. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, which we spoke about him before, yes. Moses has had about 40 years had passed from the time that he had left Egypt. So Moses was no younger, uh, no, no spring chicken anymore. Right? Uh, he was an older man. Um, as a matter of fact, we know that he spent about some 40 years or so over in, in Egypt until he went on to, to go to Midian. But I want you to understand something. If you remember Genesis, we remember the life of Joseph. Joseph was sold, was treated as a slave. <clears throat> and ended up in the what? The palace. Moses is kind of backwards. Moses started at the palace <laughs> and was stripped of everything. God will sometimes strip you of things to teach you a lesson. Does not mean that God is not with you. Does not mean that God doesn't care for you does not mean that God is not concerned about you. There are sometimes things that God needs to strip away because we become too comfortable with them that we treat those things as our God and put those things above God and therefore we become, uh, uh, we, be, we do part in idolatry not realizing it. Anything that you put above God, it is an idol. If you don't know that. Your job, your money, your, even your family and children, they can become idols. Yes. God is above all those things. We have to understand the proper order of things. Otherwise, your house is out of order. And a house that is out of order does not stand a chance. And so what happened here? Moses thought... I'm pretty much the next one in line to inherit all these things. I'm the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. So whenever that guy kicks the bucket, I'm next in line. And God said, wait a second. 
That's not what I've called you to be. I didn't call you to rule Egypt. I called you to rule my people. I need you to take you out of Egypt, strip you away from everything, all the accommodations that you have, put you in a lonely place. We're going to find out what Horeb means. This is a desert land, a, a, a land of nothing around. He had all the accommodations as a prince. Now he's left with nothing. As a matter of fact, the flock that he's attending to are not even his. There's his father-in-law. But wait a second. Why is his father-in-law called by a different name? Very interesting. In this chapter, the father-in-law is given the name of Yethro. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yethro. If we remember the previous chapters, the father-in-law of Moses was called Ruel. Ruel, which means high priest, but also in Hebrew, means friend of God. Yithro, in Hebrew, means overflow. Now, I don't know about you, but I need an overflow of the friend of God. There is a reason why God gives specific names for specific people at specific times. We have to dig in to see what these names mean so we can apply it to our lives. We saw that not only he was a high priest, but he was a friend of God. And now in this chapter, he's called Yithro as an overflow. God needs you to understand that he has an overflow of the friend of God for you in your life. And that is his son, Joshua. Now, I don't know about you, but I need an overflow of him every single day. Now, we see Moses lead the flock to Oreb which is referred to as mountain of God. But there's a discrepancy in this. And see, there is a torn of the actual location of this mountain of God. Original Jewish theologians believe that this mountain of God is not where modern-day Christians, theologians, believe it to be. They are in two different places completely. And as a matter of fact, when we go deeper into study, we're going to see that Jewish theologians were the ones that were correct. But modern day translation has distorted the word, which is something that my wife and I this morning were talking about. There are things that when you translate them, you take them out of their original design or original root. And the translation loses the power or the, the, uh, the, the things that we can learn from it, the meaning of it, because it's translated in a way that it's not supposed to. This is something that was torn, again, 
of this location of this mountain. Now, I'm not going to go too much into that because that's not the point that I want to point out this morning. If you want to go study, go ahead and study your own. But I do tell you it's very intriguing and it might shock you. What I do want to point out here is what Moses did. Moses moved the flock. Why did he move the flock? Simply for new pasture. Where the flock was, there wasn't any more pasture to eat. Or where the flock was, the pasture they were eating wasn't the right pasture. Now, I don't know if you're getting this, but the shepherd has taken his sheep to a new pasture. The beginning of the book is not new. It is new to us because we're seeing it through different eyes. And so he needed to take us to a new pasture so we can eat of new fresh manna from a different perspective. What Moses did with the flock applies to you and I with what God is doing in this church. That's called life application. Now where Moses took the flock, we're going to see that it kind of correlates with what Jewish theologians say that it was. Oreb means desert or a place of desolation. It was a flatland. How did Moses know to take these flock to this specific location? That is, these are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. Because if he's in the middle of a desert, and a place there is no pasture, how does he know to take them to the back of the mountain, to this place that is going to be called the mountain of God, how does he know there's fresh, there's fresh pasture there? We're going to see now why. Exodus, verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses says, I will now... Turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that the, he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. If somebody were to, were to call you from the midst of a burning bush that is not being consumed, at that point in time, I don't know if you guys know who Usain Bolt is. He's one of the fastest guys in the world. That would be me. <laughs> I want no part of a bush that's not burning and that a voice comes out of it. But this is the very thing that attracted Moses. See, God knew where to lead Moses to that there will be not only pasture for the flock to eat, for him to eat. And so this voice comes out of the midst of this burning bush that is now being consumed. But notice how scripture is referencing the angel of the 
Lord. Lord is spelled in capital letters. These are the details that we need to pay attention to. If you guys remember in the past that we've spoken about this, when the word Lord is capitalized, it speaks of God himself. So we see here that it is God himself who's speaking directly, again, trying to get the attention of Moses, initiating the conversation, looking for Moses' attention. I need you to pay attention to me, so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure you pay attention to me, even to the point of having a burning bush not being consumed, because that is not ordinary. Or is it? See, in the place where this desert was, there were things called tumbleweeds, if you guys know what, what a tumbleweed is. Um, it's, it, it's a little small bush that tends to roll down the midst of the desert. Now, this tumbleweed is said to have thorns. It's a spiky kind of little tree that just kind of rolls along the desert. And so, Jewish theologians believe that the actual tree that was on fire and that was, being, that was not being consumed was one of these type of trees. It was a tree of thorns. That's interesting. Out of all the trees that could have been in the midst of the desert, here we see a tree of thorns. On fire, not being consumed, speaking to Moses. If theologians have gone to the extent to find out what type of tree this is and place it for you and I, if we study to learn what type of tree this is, it is, must be for a reason. We can go to the extent to say that it wasn't the fire that caught the attention of Moses. It was the thorns that caught the attentions of Moses. Now think about for a second what that means. Yeshua was on the cross with a crown of thorns. It almost seemed as if Moses was attracted by the cross. Not by a tree, not by some random tumbleweed tree that was on fire, not being consumed. The fire was never the, the idea to get Moses' attention. It was who was in the midst of the fire that was getting the attention of Moses. It was who was in the midst of the fire that was telling Moses, come to me. You've been in Egypt for way too long. You've forgotten about who I am. This is the God of Israel. I know what you've done. But guess what? I'm still here because I can still use you. God knows everything that we've done. But guess what? He's still here. And he can still use you. 
So we see the attraction of Moses to this tree. It wasn't just the flaming fire. It was what the tree represented. The cross. The crown of thorns that the Son of God wore when he was on it. Now again, we see this terrain that Moses was on. It was a desolation. It was a desert. But again, the fire wasn't the message, guys. Don't get caught up in the fire. The fire was not the message. It was just to catch Moses' attention. It's an illustration that God will do unusual things to get our attention. That's all that was. That God will go to extremes to get our attention. Do things that our minds can comprehend. Again, imagine you are in the midst of a desert and you're looking at a bush that's on fire and it's not cons being consumed. Think about that for a second. Think about that picture that. That's not normal. But that's the way God sometimes operates. Doing the unusual, the things that is not normal to get our attention. And you know why people miss it? Because they miss the unusual things, how God speaks to us. That doesn't make sense. That cannot possibly be God. And then months pass by. Why doesn't God speak to me? How come I haven't heard from God? God has been speaking. You've just been missing the message. He's been speaking in an unusual way that you normally wouldn't understand or you wouldn't think in Him, but it is Him. You see, our minds are limited to the understanding of who God is and how He operates. We will never understand the fullness of God. Never. But we need to be attentive to it. Amen. We need to be very attentive to how God operates. And sometimes He will do unusual things to get our attention. Amen? Amen. Then notice, once He got Moses' attention, God spoke. And what were the first words out of God's mouth? Moses Moses. He knew who Moses was. He knows who you are. He knows every hair on your head. He knows you before you were even in your mother's womb. Listen, there's not one day or one thing that you do that God is not aware of. Whether you do him in open or you do him in secret, God knows. Just want to burst your bubble for a second. Just in case you don't know that. Some people have a mentality of things because I do things behind closed doors God can see. Sorry, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. And he's aware and he's concerned. And he was concerned about Moses because he knew what Moses had done. And he knew that he never called Moses to murder that Egyptian. And so now he finds his Moses in the midst of a desert, a place that he didn't call him to go, shepherding a flock that's not even his. It almost seems as if Joseph went from the pit to the palace and gained everything, and Moses had gained everything and lost everything. Mm 
All because of a simple action. Did you notice that? And this is what happens to us. When God calls us to do something, and we stray away and do something on our own emotions or on their own strength, and we are stripped away from everything. Then we wonder why. Why? I had it so good. Well, did you continue to do what God was calling you to do? Sometimes those are the things that are a little bit uncomfortable that we don't want to do, but we must do because that is the righteous path that he has us on and he knows better than we do. But just because we feel uncomfortable, we don't want to do them. Then we do our own thing and we're stripped away. That's what happened to Moses. He let his emotions get the best of him, killed the Egyptian, got stripped away, sent him to the middle of the desert. But he never left him alone. When he went to the desert, he was there with his father-in-law. And in the midst of the desert, he never starved. He had food. He had shelter. God was concerned about Moses. He knew where he was and we had gone to. Some time needed to pass by for Moses' heart to change. See, I believe that Moses had gotten so comfortable in his lifestyle that he had forgotten about who God was. And we're going to see it in Scripture. He truly had forgotten who God was or even his name. It is impossible, listen to me, it is impossible to pay attention to something that you're not focused on. It is impossible to pay attention to something that you're not focused on. Moses was not focused on God when he was over there in the palace. But Moses is focused on God when he's in the midst of the desert. Haven't you noticed that when things are going good and we, got, we seem to have everything figured out, for some reason we tend to put God in the back burner? He, he kind of becomes like our, our second or even sometimes even our last resort. But the second we're going through the fire, the second we're in the midst of the desert, God is everything. He's the first option. He's the first one we run to. He's the first one we cry out to. God is the same in the desert as he is in the palace. He is the same in the one in the valley as he is in the mountaintop. God does not change. But we do. Unfortunately. That is our sinful nature. We allow it to get the best of us. So again, it is impossible to pay attention to something that you're not focused on. God calls Moses twice and calls him by his first name as if he wanted to make a relationship personal. He didn't just call him any name. He didn't call him a different name. He called him his original name. And he called him out twice. Look what scripture says in Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 7. This is very interesting. Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 7. That's with me so far. Amen. Amen. And he says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by your name and you are mine. So the first two things that God calls Moses is a representation of what scripture says. I am calling you by name because you know what? You are mine. I formed you. I'm the one that made you. So therefore, I am calling you by name. Because you know what? I need you to also know my name. And so it continues to say, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Remember, we read this, I believe, last week. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord, again, Lord and capitalize, your God, Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for you ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Moses was never alone in the midst of the desert. God was with him. Yes, come on. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them from the west. I will save to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my son from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. God knew who Moses was. I believe maybe at this time, Moses might have been a bit confused of who he was. Maybe some sort of lack of identity, even. Because he would have said, man, I had everything. How is it that I find myself in the midst of a desert taking care of a flock that's not even mine? I don't have anything. I literally have been stripped away from everything. How did this even happen? And so I'm thinking that maybe doubt set in, fear, and many other things could have set in. But God tells Moses, Moses, Moses. I know who you are. You may be in the desert, but I know who you are. I know what you're going through. I am concerned about you. And I'm about to change everything around. But the question is, not if Moses knew his identity, but did Moses know the identity of the God of Israel? Continue to read. Exodus verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. Look for a second what it says here. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside and looked, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And look at his answer. Look at his answer. He said, here I am. Doesn't that answer sound familiar to you? I believe Joseph said that. I believe Abraham said that. I believe Jacob said that. Notice that all these patriarchs and men of God answered in a way 
that was very familiar to the way Moses. It almost seemed as Moses knew that the person who was calling was above who he was. Because of the first words that were spoken and that were called to him by God. He didn't just call him any name. He, just, he didn't just say, hey, you, the man that is just sitting there looking at the bush. <laughs> you crazy lunatic. Why are you looking at the bush? No, he called them by his name. He said, Moses, Moses. And here Moses says, here I am. But look what happens. You see, this here I am, just in case you haven't noticed by now, that phrase is a phrase of disposition. Here I am is a phrase of disposition, of a phrase that you make yourself available. So God calls Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. What is it you want from me? In other words, what do you want me to do? I know this is not normal. There's a voice coming out of this bush that is on fire, that is not being consumed. There has to be a deity here that is above the ones that I have learned about from those in Egypt. Because remember, the first 40 years, that's where Moses was. And he learned about these Egyptian gods and what they could do and, and all these things. And actually, there's, if you study this, it says that when they knew the name of the God, they were able to manipulate the God to do what they wanted for the God to do. Look good to the extreme. But this one specifically that is in the midst of the fire is different. He's calling him by name. And Moses says, here I am. Look what verse 5 and 6 says. Then he said, do not, this is God speaking, by the way. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Amen. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid to look upon God. First, he makes himself available, and it almost seems as if he's walking towards this bush, and God says, hey, psst, slow down. Pause for a second. Do not get closer. Do not get closer. As a matter of fact, take off your sandals. Do not get any idea, guys. We don't have proper ventilation here. Don't take off your sandals. This is, we know that God is in this place, and he's moving, but please don't get any ideas. God says, don't come closer. Take off your sandals because the ground that you're stepping on is holy ground. See, where God abides, that place is considered holy. Amen. We need to understand that when we walk in through those doors, this place where we're at, it is holy place because the presence of God is in this place. He has come before us to saturate the atmosphere with his presence. So when we walk in, we can embrace the presence of God. So therefore, this place is considered holy ground. Now here we see that God, it almost creates a separation. You know why God tells Moses not to come closer? 
Because holiness and sin cannot be together. Or don't you remember that when his son was on the cross and he looked up and he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Yeshua at that moment had become sin. It wasn't that he had just taken the sins of the world. He had become sin. And since he had become sin, his father, being holy God, couldn't look upon him. And so here we see Moses in the presence of a holy God. And and God says, don't come any closer. I'm calling you by name because I'm trying to establish a relationship with you. But I also know what you've done. So keep your distance. We can talk. It almost seemed as if the holiness where that bush was at was able to be transferred. Just some food for thought for you to dig in because it actually can be. And we'll see that in scripture. I'm not going to go into that today, but we'll see that later on. I got to leave something for later, guys. (laughs) So God makes two special requests towards Moses. Number one, says, do not draw near to this place. And number two is, take your sandals off your feet. The first request is an illustration that a holy God and sin don't mix. And there needs to be a separation. The second request is a sign of humility and reverence. From Moses towards God. It also recognizes the immediate presence of a holy God. During this time, and still some customs in the Middle East, when you go visit people, they tend to take their feet off. I mean, their their shoes off. Sorry, they don't take their feet off. (laughs) They tend to take their shoes off. Well, this was a custom back then. They would take their sandals off. They would take their shoes off. And so when Moses does this, it's a sign of reverence. That he understands that he's in the presence of a holy God. Amen. He says, wait a second, this is, this is completely different from what I've seen my first 40 years over there in the palace. This, this, this is something out of, out of ordinary. And so we see Moses take his sandals off. So he acknowledges who God is. Then God reminds Moses of who he is. In other words, he reminds Moses of the covenant. Here's where it begins to turn. And we're going to see questions being asked by Moses. We see it there. He says, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What is that? That is the covenant that God had made with the forefathers. So he's reminding Moses, just in case you have forgotten about me, just because you spent X amount of years in the midst of the desert and you thought I didn't know where you were at, here, let me remind you of who I am and the covenant that I've made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Guess what? You're part of that covenant, Moses. Guess what? We're all part of that covenant, church. I don't know about you, but that should get you excited that you're part of the covenant that is an eternal covenant. So he reminds Moses of who he is. He reminds Moses of the covenant that he had made. 
Now we can argue here and remind and say, well, did God forget about Moses because you know he kind of stripped him away and kind of threw him to the midst of the desert, and now he's just kind of established something all over again because he was upset about what Moses did? No. Plain answer is no. God never forgot about Moses. There was a lesson that needed to be taught. And these are the lessons that we learn from when we move under our own emotions. It's the same thing when you try to teach your children something. They have to be taught, especially if they get out of line. You got to teach them. Sometimes a little bit stronger than others, but you have to teach them. This is the same way here. God didn't forget about Moses. As a matter of fact, when he called them, he called them by his first name. That tells you that he knows who he was and where he was. Amen? Amen. God, listen, God did not forget about Moses and God did not forget about the nation of Israel. Because we can argue and say, well, the nation of Israel has been suffering for so many years in slavery. But in Scripture says the opposite or the contrary to God forgetting about his people. It says that when they were there, they what? They multiplied. They became a great nation. They even had more people than the Egyptians in Egypt. So they became greater than the actual inhabitants of that land. And if you remember when they first got to Egypt, when Jacob got over there, what did Pharaoh do to them? He gave them the land of Goshen, the best part of Egypt. While everybody else was starving, he gives the Hebrew people, foreigners, the best part of Egypt. So no, God never forgot about Moses. God never forgot about the Israelites. God multiplied them, God blessed them, and God kept them. Because even in the midst of slavery, God still was there. God was still taking care of his people. Continue to read. Verse 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Here it is. He's aware. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going, to read, we're going to see this a lot in scripture. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Havites and the Jebusites and all the ites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression which with the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. Come now, therefore I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's stop there for a second. Look at what God does. Here is a killer murderer in the midst of the desert God knows who he is God is concerned about him 
because that's not who he had called them to be. And so he says, wait a second, Moses, Moses, I need to establish a relationship with you and I need to call you and commission you to do something which was I had called you to begin with. These were my original plans for your life. You're not labeled a killer. You're not a murderer. That is not who you are. You are the deliverer of my people. That is who I called you to be. Listen, I don't, know, I don't care what people have tried to label you. That is not who you are. God calls you to be different. It is what matters is who has God called you to be, not what people called you to be. And if you think about for a second, a lot of the times what people call you to be is contrary of what God calls you to be. Just because you don't meet their standards. Thank God that to God, there's no specific standards. He doesn't call the qualify. He qualifies the called. Haven't we heard that plenty of times? You guys heard my testimony. As a matter of fact, when you study scripture, every person that God called was always reluctant to teach his word. Every prophet that God called to be a prophet and to speak his word was reluctant. They didn't want to do it. They came up with a thousand excuses. Me? I can't speak. That's who Moses was. Aaron? Won't go over that joke again. <laughs> but every person that got called to take the good news was reluctant at first. They didn't want to do it. And we see that in the life of Moses. Moses says, who am I? Who am I? God had plans for Moses. God has plans for your life. Amen. Amen. Now, up to this point, we've seen a separation between God and Moses, but all that is about to change. We see God's compassion towards his people. We see that God is aware. I have heard. I have heard and I have seen. I have heard and I have seen. I've seen their afflictions and I've heard their cries. Meaning that all the time the Israelites were praying, and we're crying out to God, God was paying attention. God was paying attention. I want you to know that your prayers are not in vain. God sees your affliction and he hears your prayers. <coughs> so he hears and he sees. Hmm, interesting. Can I tell you that even though he's God and we're not, that he's not some distant God? <coughs> he's a relational God. Amen. And that's what he's been trying to do with Moses all this time. Establish a relationship. Calling Moses by his first name. 
It's almost like if God is showing respect to Moses, right? Because when you meet somebody, you like to get to know their first name so you can call them by their name. This is the same thing we see here. <coughs> Excuse me. We see God telling Moses that he's been aware of his people and their sufferings. He says, I have seen and heard. Now, if you know, we have five senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Those are our five senses. But isn't it interesting that the most prominent of those senses is sight and hear. Mostly sight. Do you guys remember when Yeshua came back and his disciples were in and doubting Thomas was there? He says, how can it be? Is it really you? And Yeshua had to show him the holes in his hands. Here God uses the same sense to let Moses know that he is aware of his people. That's incredible. That is incredible. God uses the same sense to let Moses know that he's aware of the affliction of the Israelites. I have seen their affliction. I have heard their cry. I haven't forgotten them, Moses. But I'm going to use you to go deliver my people because where they're at, that is not my covenant. They're in a foreign land. And my covenant that I have made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a land flowing with milk and honey. And that milk and honey does not abide in Egypt. That milk and honey is in the land of Canaan. That is the promised land. So I need you to go over there and tell Pharaoh, hey, I need you to... If you don't mind, let go of the Israelites. <laughs> because see, we've been taught for too long, and we're going to touch in the scripture right now. We've been taught for too long that God said to Moses, go over there and demand. That's wrong. God told Moses to first ask, can we leave to worship our God? This is what we have to pay close attention and read carefully and meditate on what you're reading because we've been taught too many wrong things and we're going to see it in scripture. Now God makes a powerful statement in verse 7 and verse 9. Let's read that for a second. And it says, verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows and look at verse 9 it says now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me I have also seen the oppression which with the, which which the Egyptians oppress them it almost seems repetitive as if God repeats it twice why does God repeat it twice because this is something that was spoken in the previous chapter Exodus 2 verse 23 to 25 here we find our answer and it says now, it happened in the process of the time that the king of Egypt died 
then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. Here it is, their cry out to God. And they cried out, and they cried out, came, and they cried out, came to God because of their bondage. Verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And what happened when God remembers? Here's the blessing. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. He acknowledged them. What does that mean? That God recognized who they were. God remembered of his covenant. Now God through with his promise. So I have seen your affliction. I have heard your cries. Don't worry about it. I am aware of it. My turn. Now I have to act because I got to be faithful to my word. If it's one thing that God needs to be obedient to is his word. That's it. It's the only thing that God needs to be obedient to because it's God breathed. He spoke it. So if he spoke it, he has to be obedient to it. He has to come through for it. So he tells Moses, I have seen I have heard their cry. But don't worry. What I'm about to do, I spoke about it already. Come on. Wow. Now I'm about to fulfill it. Amen. And I'm going to use you to fulfill what I have spoken. Wow. I will use a man to fulfill a promise. <laughs> Come on. If you didn't get that, that flew way over your head. The statement of God was an affirmation of his deliverance of his people and the promise of his covenant he had established prior. God doesn't forget. God does not forget whatever vision he's shown you, whatever dream, whatever words he's spoken over your life. God does not forget about those things. Time might pass. It could be weeks, months, years, but God does not forget. There is a time and season for everything. And in due time, what God has shown you and what God has promised you, He will fulfill it. Amen. Because that's who He is. He's a faithful God. Amen. And He's faithful to His word. Amen? Amen. Exodus 3.11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. we see a completely different mindset from Moses. This is not the Moses of the palace. This is the Moses that was taught a lesson and the Moses of the desert. This wasn't the Moses that saw a Hebrew getting beaten up and says, you know what, I don't like that. Let me kill the Egyptian. No, this is the Moses that learned his lesson because everything will strip away and says, who am I? Who am I, God, to lead your people out of Israel? And God says, I 
will be with you. See, who God calls, God equips. When God calls you to do something, God doesn't send you alone. He didn't say, here, push you into the fire, deal with it. No. God gives you a commission, gives you a calling, and if he shoes you to throws you into the fire, guess what? He's also in the midst of that fire. Or don't we remember the story of the three Hebrew boys, which we've spoken about dozens of times. They were thrown into the fire. As a matter of fact, the fire was turned up a little bit more. But we realize that in the midst of the fire, God says, don't worry about it. I see what you stood for. I, tr- I-, I see the passion and the belief. And guess what? Now I'm going to honor that. I'm going to be with you in the midst of the fire. So when you come out of the fire, nothing is harmed. What needs to be stripped away has been stripped away because we know fire purifies. But I'm going to come out with you. And I'm going to show them who the God that you worship is. So God tells Moses, hey, I need you to go back, but don't worry. I will be with you. You're not going alone, Moses. Don't worry about it. I'm the one that's going to control your mouth. I'm the one that's going to speak through you. I just need you to become a vessel in my hand. That's it. That's all I need. Become a vessel for me. Make yourself available, and I will speak through you. Now Moses asked God a question. He says, who am I? Remember what we said earlier about the lack of identity? But I think the better question is, who is God? I think maybe Moses still at this point was a little bit too concerned about himself and not enough about who God was. Maybe he was caught up in and the whole emotion of the burning fire and everything, and he didn't realize who, who he was in the presence of. But you know what happens here? This is what's happening nowadays. And it saddens me to say because pastors are more concerned about who they are than about who God is. Every time I hear the word pastor and celebrity used in the same sentence, that bothers me. Pastors are not called to be celebrities. That's a problem. It almost seems that they're using what God has called them to do for self-benefit. And are leading the sheep astray. And the problem is that they're selling something that is so good because it's so worldly that even the people that are in the midst of church are more lost than the people that are outside of church. Moses here had kind of like that mindset, you can say. Who am I? Don't worry about who you are. Be more concerned about who God is in your life. Please don't misunderstand me. You should know who your true identity is as well. But the identity of God needs to be above that. Amen. Remember what we said at the beginning. God is above everything. Yes. 
we see in verse 12 that God sends them and he equips them. He says, go because I will be with you. This is a sign to you that I have sent you. This will be a sign. When you go, you're not going to go alone. You're going to get over there to Egypt. I am going to be with you. When you open your mouth, I'm going to be the one that's going to speak through you. That is my sign to you. That I didn't just throw you into the fire alone. Let's continue to read. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, this is where it gets interesting, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is, listen to this carefully, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Pause. Let's break that because there is a lot in there. I am has sent you. This is my name for all generations. We see that Moses almost did not know the name of God, you can say. Because he's having a dialogue with God. He's asking him questions. They're going back and forth. And Moses says, who do I tell the Israelites has sent me? It almost seems that he's forgotten who God is or maybe the name of God. And it's interesting because he shouldn't have forgotten the name of God. And we're going to see why. It's been with him since he was born. How is that possible, God, a pastor? <laughs> oh, you're going to see now. I am who I am in Hebrew is aye, asher, aye, meaning he is self-existent, period. I don't need you to give a description of who I am. I don't need you to butter them up and say, oh, the God of so-so has sent you. No. I am who I am has sent you. That's it. You tell them that. And if they recognize and if they remember the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they will know who sent you. If they have not gotten too comfortable in Egypt and still remember the covenant that I've made with them, they will know who sent you. Amen. Just tell them, I am who I am has sent you. That phrase, I am who I am, is also associated with the name Yahweh. In other words, the name of God does not have an equal to. 
So if you put the name of God and you put the equations, there is nothing else but his name. He doesn't equate to anything else. He equates to himself because he's self-existent, self-sufficient. Now, these words that God spoke at this moment must have taken, like I said, Moses a little bit by surprise because, again, like I said earlier, the Egyptians, when they knew a certain God by name, they can manipulate that God to do what they wanted them to do. But here, it's different. God is describing himself as self-existent and self-sufficient, meaning you're not going to manipulate me to do anything you want to do, Moses. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do because I am self-sufficient and self-existent. So I am who I am, sending you to do my work, not your work, Moses. I need you to go back to Egypt and tell my people who has sent you. Now God here was not giving Moses a new name. As a matter of fact, when you study the name of Yahweh, it is... It, it, it is, it's it's um, found in the book of Genesis over 150 times. We went over the book of Genesis. So this wasn't something new. What did Yeshua say when he came? I came to do the will of the Father. I didn't come to do something new. Amen. There's so many people are saying that he came to do something new. Or a new testament. What does that mean? Do you even know what that means? Because he came to fulfill the will of the Father. Not what he decided to do. Those were his own words. So what is it that you're trying to teach that he came to do something new? There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. All that's been spoken about. All that has been written. And it was God that started it. His son came to fulfill it. And fulfilling is not just doing away with, it's actually doing it. Now again, we see the name of Yahweh found over 150 times in the book of Genesis. What's even more interesting is the name of Moses' mom. Her name was Jochebed. You know what Jochebed means in Hebrew? Yahweh's glory. <laughs> Jochebed. J-O-C-H-E-B-E-D. J-O-C-H-E-B-E-D means Yahweh's glory or Yahweh is my glory. So when Moses asked, what is your name? Moses should have known what his name was because it had been with them since he was born. But this is what happens when you hang around the wrong place for too long. See, he was raised in Egypt. He had forgotten. He probably even forgotten what his mother's name truly meant. Mm -hmm. 
So essentially, God's name should have been familiar to Moses. What God is doing by giving Moses that name was calling the Israelites, listen to this, back to the faith or God of their, or, or God was calling them to the covenant of their forefathers. When you go over there, Moses, and you tell him who sent you, I am who I am, Yahweh has sent you, what you initially are telling the Israelites is calling them back to faith, not to slavery, back to faith, and back to the covenant that I have established since the beginning of time. They don't belong in Egypt. They belong in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But you know what the problem was? That the same way Moses had gotten accustomed to Egypt, so had the Israelites. The Israelites didn't mind being in Egypt. They just didn't like the, the slavery part. That's all. All they wanted just their situation changed a little bit that they wouldn't be considered slaves. Because remember, when they first came to Egypt, they weren't slaves. They were living perfectly fine. So all they wanted really from God was just God to accommodate them a little bit better in Egypt. This is what happens to us, church, when we hang around too much in Egypt. We get to a place of comfort and accommodation, and all we want is just from time to time to God to adjust us that we can be doing a little bit better in life. But we don't care about being in Egypt. When God has said, come out. Yes, come out. I don't need you to stay in Egypt. That's not the land that I have for you. The land that I have for you is flowing with milk and honey. There is no milk and honey here in Egypt. This is a dry and desolation and desert. This is not the place where you belong. I need you to come out of Egypt. Moses, go and get my people out of Egypt. I need you to knock some senses into them. This is not, this is not where they belong. I know they've gotten comfortable, similar to how you got comfortable, but this is not the place where they belong. But I need you to tell them who's sending you so they can remember my covenant. So they can come back to the faith. Back to the truth. Back to the beginning. The name I am is self-sufficient. He can become whatever he pleases. I am in the sense that God is the becoming one. When we were in darkness, he said, I am the light. Amen. Amen. When we were hungry for truth, he said, I am the bread of life. Yes. And when we felt defenseless and afraid, he said, I am the good shepherd. In a sense, I am is God becoming whatever you need him to become. Not to manipulate God. Don't get him mistaken. Not to manipulate God, but to God to be sufficient enough for your circumstance. That is who God became because he saw and heard the affliction of his people. He said, now I am who I am. I am going to become their, deli their deliverer. 
I am going to redeem them out of Egypt. So he became who he needed to become for the Israelite nation. Because he's self-sufficient. By the name of I am, he's not only give us an announcement, but he also, but he's, but also an introduction. Listen, when he says I am, it's not only giving an announcement of who he is, but also an introduction. It announces his presence. I am. I am here. My presence is here. Remember when he introduced himself to Moses? I am. The, my presence is here. But he also gives an invitation to whoever wants to know him by experience. I am. Here's my presence. What, is it, what does he do to Moses? Moses, Moses. Now come experience a relationship with me. Come experience who I am. So he not only tells of who he is, but gives us the opportunity to embark in a long-lasting, eternal relationship with him. That's what I am means. Such powerful two words. I am. Simple as that. But they mean so much. Look at Psalms 34, 8. We're almost done, guys. Hey, Amen. I got another two hours. <laughs> Psalms 34, 8. Remember, he first says, here is my presence. And then he says, here's my invitation. And look what scripture says about his invitation. Psalms 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But we stop there. Look what it continues to say. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. He says, here I am. Here's my presence, Moses. But here's my invitation to you. If you trust me, you will be blessed. If you trust me, Moses, and you do what I'm calling you to do, guess what? You're going to step into that promised land, and you're going to step into the land that is filled with milk and honey. Now go and release my people. Moses says, okay. Shema, hear and do. The name I am emphasizes the eternal faithfulness of God and to his covenant. Look how much I am means. Speaks of his presence, speaks of him giving us an invitation, and it speaks of an eternal covenant. That name speaks of the name of God. And it says what? That is for all generations a memorial forever forever not just for a period of time not just for maybe three or four years forever 
The name that I've given myself, the name that you must recognize me by, it is forever. That is my name, Moses. That is a name that you need to go speak to the Israelites that has sent you. I am who I am. And we're going to finish with this. Let's read verses 16 through 22. Back to Exodus. 16 through 22. It says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God... Again, here we see the word Lord again, capitalized. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Excuse me. And I have said, I will bring you up. Notice that every time scripture says, I will bring you up, or I will bring you out, remember what we said before. It, Egypt it is south. It is a representation of what's under you. He always brings you up. He always brings you out. That's why the Bible says, come out. Up, out. He doesn't say, go down. Every time God speaks, he calls you up, calls you out. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. <clears throat> Listen to this. They will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. This is where wrong theology comes into play. Watch this carefully. They will heed you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please, this is Moses asking, please let us go three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord God. Did Moses come and say, demand you need to let my people go now because God says so? No. You know why? Because God is a gentleman. God is a gentleman. And even to a man that was in authority over Egypt, God says, fine. You know what, Moses? Go and ask him to please let go of my people so they can go make sacrifice to me for three days. Interesting. But I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So guess what I'm going to do? Since I am who I am, and I am above every god in Egypt, and I am above everything else, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that, he will let you go. In other words, here's the nice way. You don't learn. We're going to do it the hard way. I'm going to teach you a lesson no matter what. But I'm going to be nice about it. Because I'm a gentleman. Even though I rule over you and I'm self-sufficient, self-existent, and I can do whatever I please, whenever I please, however I please, I'm still a gentleman.
And Moses, I need you to go over there and ask, please, can you let my people go? No, fine. Here it is. Here's my wrath. Verse 21 says, and I will give these people favor. Now watch this. Not only is he going to strike Egypt down, but in the midst of God striking and bringing his wrath over Egypt, he says, now the Egyptians, those that had you in slavery, now you're going to find favor in their eyes. You're not leaving out of Egypt empty-handed. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. No. That's not who I am. You see, because I have seen and heard your afflictions all this time. Now I have to act. Now I'm going to bring my wrath. And while I bring my wrath, you're going to find favor in their eyes. And you're going to leave with possessions. Amen. <laughs> says, and I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. Not only are you going to have possessions, but you're going to have clothing. You're not leaving naked out of Egypt. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Oh yeah, by the way, they're not just for you, but for your generations. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. It's amazing when we read scripture and we meditate on scripture, how wrongly we've been taught. I don't know about you, but I, I was always under the impression that Moses went into Egypt with demands. But that was not the case. And scripture clearly says that Moses said, please. Go and ask kindly, please, can you let my people go for three days so they can go make sacrifice to the God of Israel? But God knew ahead of time the heart of Pharaoh, and he knew he wasn't going to oblige by it, so he said, fine. If he's not going to let you guys go, then I'll just bring my wrath down, and I'm going to plunder the Egyptians. But before I plunder all the Egyptians, uh, you guys are going to find favor in their eyes, and you guys are going to leave with gold and silver and clothing on your back. See, because the Hebrews, if you guys remember, the Hebrews came into Egypt with pretty much nothing. You guys remember that? There was a famine in the land. When they got to Egypt and that they were sent to Goshen, they didn't come with anything. They came with basically the clothing on their back and that's it. And in Egypt, God was merciful and graceful enough to keep them supply for them so they were able to multiply and even when they were put in slavery for whatever reason they were put in slavery because God allowed it to now I'm going to bring you out but you're not going to leave the same way you came in oh no you're going to leave with abundance because you're going to a place that abides in abundance a land that flows with milk and honey and so therefore when you go over there you need to be prepared you need to have plenty of clothing in your back and plenty of gold and plenty of silver because when you get over there, you need to make sacrifices to the God of Israel. Amen. You need to worship me and understand that 
I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. Moses was given a very hefty task to do. But can I tell you that some of us are giving sometimes the same task? Maybe for a period of time, maybe forever. Moses did not pause, did not complain. All he just asked a simple question, who am I? God reminded him who God was first, and then reminded him of his covenant, and gave assurance to Moses that he will go with him. This is the same thing that God does with us. God reminds us of who he is, reminds us of his covenant, and then gives us the assurance that he goes with us wherever he sends us. God never sends you to do something that he's not aware of and that he won't be with you in it. Not only does he go before you to make a way already, but he is with you in the midst of everything. I'll finish with this. God was always aware, please listen to this. God was always aware of Israel's situation. The affliction and through a man, Moses, was able to deliver them and redeem them from physical and spiritual slavery. The same with us. God, through his son, Joshua, which was 100% God, and 100% men delivered us and redeemed us from physical and spiritual slavery. You might say, I'm not a slave to anything. My wife said probably weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, she said something very important. She said, we're all a slave to something. You choose who you want to be a slave to. God delivered the Israelite nation through a man, brought hope, and brought deliverance through Moses. God is doing the same thing nowadays, and he's been doing it for years, through his son that came to die for us, that brought hope, is delivering and redeeming us. And he will continue to do that until he comes again. Let's go ahead and stand, church.